Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Andrew Russell. Today we have a, um, a challenging topic in, in some respects. It's called Beware of False Revivals. Beware of False Revivals. And Bible prophecy actually tells us that in, the la- in these last days, or the last days of Earth's history, as we know, before the second coming of Jesus, that wickedness will envelop the world. Wickedness will envelop the world in the context of three distinct powers that the book of Revelation talks about. These three distinct powers are referred to as the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. How many of you are familiar with that? Raise your hand. Okay, there's a few of you. Okay, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. These powers will be the distinct enemies of God and the gospel. The Bible tells us at the very end. They will work, firstly, to deceive and ensnare deceive and ensnare unsuspecting believers in God. They will work to deceive and ensnare unsuspecting believers in God, and then they will endeavor to destroy those who exhibit in their lives the faith of Jesus and obedience to His commandments. So this is a a very telling prophecy in the book of Revelation, something that God wants us to know. These powers are presented in Revelation chapter 12 and in Revelation chapter 13, these three distinct powers, the dragon, the beast, and the who? And the false prophet. And I'm going to, I have it on the screen for you. I'm going to share this with you. We have a bit to get through today, so I've put these um, verses on the screen. But it says, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red what? Dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. This is the first power. And the great dragon was cast out. It tells us who this power is. The great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called who? The devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. And the dragon was wroth with the woman or angry with the woman. And who's the woman here in the context of Bible prophecy, it's the church. The dragon was wroth with the church and went to make war, notice, with the remnant of her seed, which what? Keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. The devil is not angry with anyone else except those who would keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. There's something I want to highlight for you here that's very, very important. I want you to recognize that the devil is a person. What is he? He is a person. And I know some of you say, oh, we already know that, Pastor. But we need to be reminded he is a person. He is an intelligent, spiritual being. He is an intelligent spiritual being. 
That's how the Bible presents him to us. He is invisible to the naked eye, but he thinks, he speaks, he acts, and he moves with lightning speed. Isn't that what angels do? He thinks, he speaks, he acts, he moves with lightning speed. He commands the personage of other fallen angels. He commands them. Lucifer, he's called in the Bible. The devil has angelic power. What's angelic power? That means that he has power over the natural elements of life in a way that you and I don't. Think about the story of Job. What did the devil do there? He was able to to conjure up destructive winds. Wasn't that right? To conjure up destructive winds. The book of Revelation uh, and chapter 7 tells us that angels are holding back the winds of strife. This is supernatural power that the devil has. We are warned also that he tempts men to evil. We know that he tempts men to evil. He's a person and he tempts men to evil. He is a spiritual entity, but he's a person. He can make evil to appear most pleasurable. Amen. He can make evil to appear most pleasurable and good to appear most displeasurable. He has power to possess, the Bible tells us. He has power to possess and control those who have resisted the pleadings of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had to cast devils out of people. He has that power. Think of Judas, who resisted the Holy Spirit and the leadings of his teacher. The Bible says that the devil entered him, took control of him, and Jesus recognized it and said, well, what you must do, do quickly. Yes, the devil is a person just like you, only a thousand times more powerful and without a conscience. Without a conscience. Should we be concerned, yes or no? I don't don't sound convinced. Should we be concerned, yes or no? Absolutely. Thank you. Amen. Absolutely, we ought to be concerned. The Bible tells us We ought to be concerned. That's why God warns us of Satan. And he tells us not to play around with sin by turning away from Christ and his commandments. Let's read about the second power now in the book of Revelation. We find in Revelation chapter 13, verse 1 to 2. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and I saw a beast. A beast in the Bible is a kingdom. Rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of what? Blasphemy. Notice the connection here in the next verse. And who? The dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. The dragon is working 
through this beast. The dragon is working through this beast. In, in previous presentations I've done here at the church and even in Bible studies, we, we note that beasts represent kingdoms. We find in Daniel 2, Daniel 7 talks about four beasts that rise up. And, uh, and very clearly in the Bible it says that those uh, beasts are kingdoms. Those beasts are kingdoms. And I often tell people we still use beasts or animals as symbols for kingdoms today, don't we? The, um, the, king, the symbol for, for the nation of Russia is the bear. The symbol for the nation of America is the what? The bald-headed eagle. Yeah, that's right. And I'm sure you know the symbol for Australia, isn't it? It's the kangaroo. Not the flying kangaroo, but the kangaroo. Okay. So we read about this. The book of Daniel and Revelation prophesies of kingdoms down to the end of time. As we see there when we study the Bible, Babylon was prophesied. Medo-Persia was prophesied to come and conquer Babylon. Greece to conquer Medo-Persia. And then Rome to come and conquer the Greeks. These kingdoms have been prophesied. And this, this second beast power, the second Kingdom here that we read about in Revelation um, chapter 13 is the kingdom or the nation of Rome that Satan has continually used to come against Christ and the gospel. Remember the time when Jesus was here? Who's that talking to Jesus? That's the Roman, em not the Roman emperor, but the Roman consul. What was his name? Pontius Pilate, wasn't it? Pontius Pilate. It was Rome at the hands of Pontius Pilate that crucified Christ. And also we find there in the other image I've shared there with you, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus pointed to the Roman kingdom that would come. He prophesied of that kingdom that would come and destroy the temple and the people in Jerusalem. And that was fulfilled in 70 A.D., Okay, 40 years after Jesus had declared it. And then Jesus also said that Rome would kill million, millions more, millions more Bible-believing Christians. Jesus said, if they persecute me, they will also persecute you. And we study further, we find that Jesus spoke of persecution. He warned his disciples and the followers that would come that they would be dragged before judges and courts and they would be persecuted for his name's sake. And he pointed to that same kingdom. And throughout the Middle Ages, historians record that around 50, well, they say at least 50, a lot of the records have been destroyed, but they say anywhere between 50 and 200 million Christians were destroyed for wanting to follow the Bible by the kingdom of Rome. That kingdom of Rome today is known as Papal Rome. And uh, in 2016, we find that uh, the Pope, in uh, January of 2016, here's an article from the newspaper Guardian. This was in a lot of newspapers at the time. But they said, Pope says sorry for, this, for the sins of the church. Sweeping apology for attacks on Jews, women and minorities defies theologians warnings. In other words, the Catholic Church finally acknowledged its murderous actions of the past. 
But all these things were foretold in prophecy. And it says it apologized, but it didn't really apologize. <laughs> okay? Because when you make an apology, then what follows an apology? Sorry? Action represent change. That's the word I'm looking for, isn't it? When you make an apology to someone, change follows that apology. Otherwise, you're not really apologetic. So it's one thing to say, hey, listen, we recognize what we did and we apologize, but if there's no change in terms of your doctrine and your position and so forth, then things remain unchanged. But that's just a historical fact. The second power is the kingdom of Rome. And Satan, we read, the dragon gives him his seat and great authority. The third power that will be an enemy to God is a beast kingdom that will unite with the Roman kingdom. Notice here it says, so notice now it speaks of the Roman kingdom, and now it speaks about another kingdom that's coming up. And I beheld, or I saw, another beast coming up out of the earth, and he, he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a what? As a dragon. Notice the dragon is there again, okay? He's working through these kingdoms. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the who? The first kingdom, whose deadly wound was healed. So now we find there is the Bible talks about a second kingdom that will come up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, underscore lamb, and spoke like a dragon, underscore dragon. You notice that this kingdom firstly is strongly acquainted with the religion of Christ, because all through the Bible, the Lamb represents Jesus. It's strongly acquainted with the religion of Christ, but then also speaks as a dragon, particularly as it unites with Rome. The Bible tells us that it causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast. That tells us something about this kingdom. It must have global influence in order that it has such uh, influential sway to bring the world into the worship of the first beast. Does that make sense? It must have global influence. It must be a superpower that will help to bring the earth into a system of false worship. False worship. The title of our sermon is Beware of False Revivals. What kingdom has global influence? What kingdom has a strong association with Christianity and, and also a strong relationship of influence with the Roman nation? Some of you know I'm not going to detail, I'm not going to detail study today, but I'm just sharing with you just a few identifying marks. There's only one nation that comes up at this, at this time, and that is the second beast of Revelation 13. Anyone recognize that flag? It's the United States of America. The United States of America is foretold in prophecy. And the Bible says that it has this tremendous relationship with the nation of Rome, or what we know today as the Roman papacy. Many call it the Roman Catholic Church, but forget that the Roman Catholic Church is also a kingdom. It's a nation, isn't it? It's not just a church. It's not like the Seventh-day Adventist Church. 
The Seventh Adventist Church is not a nation. The Presbyterian Church is not a nation. The Methodist Church is not a nation. There's only one church that is a kingdom, and that's the Roman papacy or papal Rome. That's why it's described as a beast coming up. Very interesting that you can read about the United States of America in Bible prophecy. The Bible is trying to allude to what will take place at the very end. It has a tremendous relationship. Um, um, United States of America has a tremendous relationship with the Roman papacy. It was evidenced some years back, as you can see from this uh, magazine article here, Time magazine, uh, spoke of a holy alliance that existed between the Roman papacy and the United States of America. Ronald Reagan was the president at the time. And if you notice the subtitle there, it says, How Reagan and the Pope conspired to assist Poland's solidarity movement and hasten the demise of what? Communism. For some of us who were around at the time and a bit younger in our day, you would have recognized many of the young people have, did not get to go through this experience, but communism was a superpower that rivaled the capitalist West, wasn't it? Two completely different systems of governance. For some of you that may have a Vietnamese heritage, for example, or a Chinese heritage, you would understand, and if you're younger, you speak to your parents or your grandparents, you would understand the troubles with communism. Communism, you don't have the freedom to do and say what you like. You don't have the freedom necessarily to thrive. The government has that control over its people. Very, very different. And the communist regime, or the USSR as it was once known, was huge. Huge. And there was a massive standoff between the West, capitalist West, and the communists. And, and I remember when I was young, we were wondering who was going to push the first button to launch the first nuclear bomb. We're hearing a lot about nuclear war in the news even today, aren't we? People are talking about, is Russia going to launch a nuclear bomb? Russia was part of the communist West. A communist East, sorry. Okay. And we were wondering what was going to happen. Would it be World War III? We came that close. We came that close at the time. But here we find this relationship between the first, uh, sorry, this, this, um, this first beast power in Revelation 13 and the second beast power, which is the United States of America. So let me ask you now, who's the dragon? Who? The devil. Thank you. Who's the first beast? The Roman papacy. And who's the third beast? That's right. Well, I should say the second beast, sorry, of Revelation. It's the United States of America, isn't it? That's the kingdom. What is the United States as America referred to here? Let's read on, okay? Notice in Revelation 13, as Revelation 13 talks about these powers. Notice it says, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the what? Of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Who's the false prophet now? Come on. 
Not Rome, no. We have the dragon, then we have the beast, that's the first beast, that's Rome. But the second beast of Revelation 13 is not referred to as a, as a beast now, it's referred to as a false prophet. Why is it referred to as a false prophet? That's the question. When, you, when I say the word prophet, do you think of politics or religion? Religion, isn't it? You're thinking of religion. So when the Bible's referring now to the, you know, the United States here in the context of the false prophet, it's directing your mind not to the political element of the United States of America, but to the religious element of the United States of America. More specifically, the Christian element of the United States of America. In other words, the church in the United States of America. And why would it do that? Why, how do we know that? Because remember, it had two horns like a, like a lamb. Like a lamb. We're breaking down the scriptures here so we can understand clearly what is being prophesied and what is being said. So when it speaks of the United States in the context of a false prophet, it is talking about a fundamental change that will come within the context of its Christian associations. It's saying that where Christianity was once lamb-like and espoused true worship, it's now going to become dragon-like and espouse false worship. And who's responsible? I saw three what? Unclean spirits like frogs. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs. The Bible is telling us that the devil is going to infiltrate the church. And the Bible indicates that it is going to happen through counterfeit systems of false worship, false miracles, and the power of unclean spirits rather than the Holy Spirit. That's what it says is going to happen. Notice as we read on. Revelation 16, verse 13, when it speaks of those three powers again, for they are the spirits of devils working what? Miracles. Look at Revelation 13, verse 13 and 14. And he does, they're speaking of America again, and he does great wonders so that he makes what? Fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and deceives them that dwell on the earth by means of those miracles, by means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Miracles. The Greek uh, word here for miracles is semion, meaning signs. In other words, the devil is going to work within the context of the Christian church with powerful signs, not wrought by God, but by who? By the devil. According to the Bible, as I said, this will take place through false worship, supernatural signs we're talking about. Miracles, right? Miracles belong to God, isn't it? But supernatural signs... And many will believe it to be a unity of false revivals spearheaded by the Christian church in the United States of America. 
Why is that? In, how do we, we have more context for that. You don't just have to take my word for it. But if you read Revelation chapter 12, where it talked about the woman, the church, it talked about the church being in the wilderness for 1260 years, being persecuted. That's what the Pope was apologizing for. Okay? Persecuted Bible-believing Christians because they didn't agree with the doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church, like the worship of Mary and other things like that. Didn't believe it was in the Bible. But in Revelation 12, it says that, that the earth helped the woman. And that second beast, America, rose up out of the earth. You see, the church, after being persecuted for centuries and centuries and centuries and millions of Protestant Christians being put to death, when America was founded, it, it found refuge, it escaped Europe and went to America. And, and, and the church began to thrive. It had religious freedom. It had the freedom to worship. It didn't have papal persecution like it did through Europe. See that? That's why it initially had the lamb-like qualities. But as it went on, and that's why Americans also are so proudly Christian, aren't they? Many of them. Not so many as they used to be. But that's why. But it's saying there's going to be a fundamental change now that's going to take place in the uh, Christian church. just want to give you that added context there. Um, the Catholic charismatic movement, um, you know, really um, took shape in America and uh, really moved with power through the churches in America, gave rise to the charismatic movement, which is most associated with the Pentecostal churches. Your Hillsongs and your, you know, the various Pentecostal churches, that's where it, it, it gave um, shape. Pentecostal comes from the word what? Pentecost, believed to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit as upon the early church. This is portrayed to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But would the Holy Spirit have you and me running around the church, roaring like lions, falling over, laughing uncontrollably, yes or no? No. No. And it's very interesting that you find that same thing within pagan Eastern religions, as the man, the strange gentleman pointed out there, the Kundalini spirit, exact same behavior. I I incredible uh, physical and emotional experiences interpreted to be love, believed to be the love of God through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, this is happening in Eastern religions, and they don't believe in the Holy Spirit. And the Bible spoke about false revivals, the, you know, signs and wonders that are, would happen in the context of the Christian church beginning with America. It's very interesting that it points it to America, and I'll mention a little bit, uh, a little bit more in, in, a, in a little while. But if you notice uh, from the Catholic faith online here, I've got some statements. Notice how far back it goes. The charismatic renewal of the present day has roots in the 19th century. Between 1895 and 1903, Blessed Eleanor Guerra, the foundress of the Oblate Sisters of the Holy Spirit in Italy, wrote 12 letters to Pope Leo XIII in which she asked him to encourage greater devotion to the Holy Spirit among Catholics. Okay. The Catholic Church actually takes ownership of the charismatic renewal. On 1st of January 1901, Pope Leo XIII prayed to the Holy Spirit and sang the Veni Creator Spiritus by the Holy Spirit window in St. Peter's Basilica 
On the same day at the Bethel College and Bible School in Kansas, in America, the Holy Spirit came upon a group of Protestants. One of the students, Agnes Osmond, started speaking in what? In tongues, a miraculous experience often considered the first of its kind at that time. Why would it be the first of its kind at that time when the Bible speaks about talking in tongues? Speaking in tongues is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Why is this regarded as the first kind of experience of, its t of the time? Because it's different. Thank you, Sandra. It's different. This speaking in tongues that is being talked about here is where someone is speaking gibberish, blah, 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 and you can't understand it. Let me not say that you always can't understand it, because I know some who have been in this movement and have experienced it have said that there have been times when the person has spoken in an actual language and someone else has recognized it. Because the devil is able to do that too. He works very deceptively. He mixes truth and error together. He mixes the true and the false together. But in most cases, it's gibberish. You can't understand it. You can't understand it. And, uh, and that's why it's regarded as the first of its time. It goes on to say, in 1967, a group of Catholic students from uh, Duquesne University, also in America, came together for a retreat. Just as what happened to the disciples during the Pentecost, the group of students experienced a life-changing moment with the Holy Spirit. This miraculous event came to be known as uh, Duquesne Weekend and became the start of the new Pentecost that Pope Leo XIII had been praying for. Not the same experience as the disciples. Because when the disciples, when you read about the gift of tongues given to the disciples, when the disciples spoke in tongues, people from other parts of the world, whether they were from uh, media, um, you know, some of the other nations represented there in the book of Acts, they heard the disciples preaching and they understood them in their own language. Because the word tongues in the original Greek, it's, it's got two words. It's, it's dialectos or glossa. Dialectos or glossa, that's the definition in the Greek of speaking in tongues. Glossa is your native tongue. If you're from Fiji, you'll speak Fijian, right? That's your, that's your native tongue. Dialectos is a different dialect. But there's no such thing as an unknown tongue where you can't understand. Because the gift of tongues was given for the preaching of the gospel so that others may hear it and understand it. That was the reason for, uh, for the gift of tongues. On June 1st, 2014, Pope Francis attended the Catholic Charismatic Renewal Conference in Rome. Notice this wasn't long ago. A gathering which drew about 50,000 people. He addressed the crowd and asked them to pray for him. The people responded using what? The gift of tongues. He then thanked, uh, he then thanked the Charismatics and told them he felt at home with them. Ooh, they responded. The gift of tongues is not even given to every... If you study the gift of tongues, it's not given to everyone. But in the charismatic movement, in the Pentecostal churches, you, when you speak in that gibberish or the unknown tongue, it's a sign that you have the Holy Spirit. And so what they do is they will try and teach you to speak in tongues. 
If tongues is a gift of the Holy Spirit, do you need a man to teach you how to speak in tongues? Yes or no? No, you don't. And I remember attending a Pentecostal church where, um, and I, I was a new Christian at the time, so I didn't know much, but I remember my friends talking about that. And one of them said, hey, <clears throat> my husband spoke in tongues today for the first time while he was in the shower. In the shower. I don't know who he was supposed to be preaching to in the shower because that's what the gift of tongues is given for, for the preaching of the gospel. And they said, oh, wow, he's finally received the gift of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. I was with a woman this week that I'd uh, just recently met and this week was a more of a second meeting to try and you know, share with, try and engage her in what uh, Seventh-day Adventists Seventh Adventist believe and what the Bible teaches. And, and she talked about watching this speaking of tongues in the Pentecostal church that she went to. She was kind of journeying around, spending a bit of time with this church and that church. And she said, I don't know, like, sure, like, it must be good, isn't it? She said, because people say that they pray in tongues. It's not given for praying in tongues. And the Bible verse that Pentecostals often used to support that is where it talks about the Holy Spirit interceding when you pray with groanings that cannot be uttered. And they say, see, when you don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes. And that's why it comes out of you. Blah, 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 blah. No, but it says with groanings that cannot be what? Uttered. You, you, you don't utter. It's just talking simply about the Holy Spirit interceding on you. It's what the, on your behalf. It's what the Holy Spirit does. So speaking in an unknown tongue is part of a false revival that's been sweeping through the churches in America. Many of the Pentecostal churches were founded by Protestants and young Protestants who felt that the traditional churches were boring. We're sick of singing hymns. Boring. We need something more. Hey, did you hear about speaking in tongues? They wanted to make church more relevant. We need to make church more relevant for people. People are not leaving the church because the church is boring, brothers and sisters. Do you know why people leave the church? Because they love the world more than Jesus. That's why people leave the church. They love the world more than Jesus. They love unrighteousness more than righteousness. I want to share with you an art uh, just a snippet from this article this man wrote. <clears throat> He'd been studying the charismatic movement for years, but he particularly noticed how the, the influence of music within this, within this context. He said, It is a strange but true fact that many Bible-believing churches that are strongly opposed to charismatic doctrine and practice. So many, many Bible-believing, many Protestant churches that didn't accept the charismatic movement, didn't accept this speaking in tongues and all these things, right? He says, are being influenced by what? Charismatic music. The charismatic world has given us Christian jazz, Christian rock, Christian rap, even Christian heavy metal and goth. Woo! Whew, told you. 
Not an easy message to receive, is it? And it's not even in our churches only, it's in our schools. Dare I say it. I remember being asked to speak at a chapel worship at a school and I was horrified by the music that they were playing with Christian lyrics. They were playing techno music with Christian lyrics for primary school children. Notice as it goes on here today, praise music has entered the what? The mainstream. Songs that were only sung in charismatic churches a few years ago are now heard through mainline and non-charismatic churches. Mainline and non-charismatic churches. This is what worship has become today. I remember visiting uh, my cousin and my family in South Africa and uh, um, she was married to a Baptist uh, guy and he was kind of conservative, you know, like he, he kind of valued the Bible. And that. But his church was going through a change that he didn't understand. And he had the job of doing security one night on a Friday night when, they were, when, the, when the youth were getting together there. And um, the youth was getting together for, for worship and doing their skits and so forth. And he asked me if I'd like to come down. I was a bit hesitant because South Africa is a dangerous place. You know, I'd be hanging around at night doing security. There's some... Uh, depending on which neighborhood you're in, you know, but, but I thought, okay, look, I'm with him, I'll go. But I remember standing there and um, at the front, we're in the car park uh, by the gate and um, the youth were going on, could hear the music was pretty loud coming out of, out of the Baptist church. And, I, um, and, and he said to me, do you want to go and have a look? And I said, okay. And he kind of told me that the church was changing a bit, right? And they had a new pastor there um, that was kind of uh, gearing the church with this new worship and so forth. And he said him and a couple of other guys were not happy about it. So anyway, I went in and I had a look and I saw the youth and they were hip-hopping on the stage to Christian songs, but hip-hop songs with Christian lyrics and dancing. And I came out of the church and, uh, and I went back and stood with him at the gate there again. And he said, what did you think? And my exact words to him were, I see the name Baptist Church there on the side of the building, but your church has been hijacked. What's inside the building is not a Baptist church. As I know historically, and I said to him, Seventh-day Adventists were very close to Baptists. But not this, not what I see here today. I said, your church has been hijacked. You see, I know what the scriptures say. I know what the Bible tells us will happen at the end of time. False revivals. Tearing down Protestant churches. There's a wonderful article written in Ministry Magazine. It's called Morality in Music. This is a Seventh-day Adventist publication. And I want you to listen to some of the statements that were shared in this article by Sister Y. Music was made to serve what? A holy purpose to lift the thoughts to that which is pure, 
noble, and elevating. Now, some of you here are going to agree with that statement, and some of you are not going to agree with that statement. Perhaps. Can we all agree that music is made to serve a holy purpose, yes or no? Where does music come from? It comes from God, first and foremost. Holy angels sang. The Bible says the stars, stars represent angels in the Bible, right? They sang together to the glory of God. Lucifer was one who had the gift of music, but Lucifer fell away. His music is not after the holy order anymore. Goes on, this article says, but there is another side of the picture. We find that music, like everything else in this world of sin, can be a powerful evil as well as good. We find that music may deprave the imagination and debase the morals. Music has the ability to deprive your imagination of the things that are true and pure and holy. Music has that ability. And debase the morals. I'll be the first to testify to that because I used to be a music lover in the world. Loved my rock and roll, loved my hip hop, loved my rap, loved a bit of my heavy metal. <laughs> I listen to all things country, punk, soul, jazz, love jazz. I used to dance to that music. And with it came a whole lot of immorality, brothers and sisters. <clears throat> Notice as it goes on, a love for music leads, listen to this, a love for music. Now this is not specifically talking about holy music or anything like this, right? This is talking about music in general. A love for music leads the unwary, those that are not paying attention, those are ignorant, those who are not studying the word as they should. A love for music leads the unwary to unite with what? World lovers in what? Pleasure gatherings where God has what? Forbidden his children to go. Because we love music so much. And musicians especially need to be aware of this. Musicians have a particular love for music, but listen, it can lead them, that love for their music can lead them into places where God does not desire them to go. Music was made to serve what? A holy purpose. To lift the thoughts to that which is pure, noble, and elevating, and to awaken in the soul devotion and gratitude to God. Amen. What music are you listening to? Music serves one purpose only. It serves a holy purpose. I had someone booked to come to church and lead the worship service. Very well-known musician. Very gifted. Had seen clips of this person's music ability in the past in the church. Wonderful songs really gifted. And just before this person was to come and play, someone sent me a YouTube link. And it was raised and said, Pastor, uh, we know we have this person coming to play music, but 
would you want to have a look at the link because there may be some concerns in, in, in terms of who this person is and what his ministry is all about. And so I clicked on the link and I noticed that this person was playing in clubs and people were dancing. People were dancing, playing in clubs, playing on the street, busking. I heard reggae. I heard pop music. And we were like six days out of him coming to the church. He was going to take the whole service. What should I do? I had to ring him and say, Brother, listen, I know it's a bit late notice, but I'm not going to have, be able to have you come to the church. The leaders have brought some things to my attention and the leaders themselves are not comfortable with you coming to the church. Why, he said. I said, because a YouTube link has been sent showing that your music doesn't just extend to the church, it extends to the clubs, it extends to outside, and it embraces secular music. And he said to me, brother, I've been a Seventh-day Adventist and a musician in the church for 30 years. And I said to him, brother, respectfully, Jesus calls us to look at the fruits of one's life and also the fruits of one's ministry. And I said, this is, it's not an issue of condemnation. I said, there's no Ill, Ill will here, brother. There'll be no gossip about this or anything like that. But music serves a moral purpose, I said to him. And he said, but churches love me when I come. I said, they may, brother. They may. But I don't see how you can be playing reggae one minute and then come into the church and play holy music. I said, we're living in an age of false spiritual revivals. Because some Christian musicians believe, like Hillsong, that all that worldly music does a work in converting the soul, I beg to differ. Only that which is of God works for the conversion of the soul. And when we're talking about conversion, we're not talking about partial conversion, we're talking about full conversion. This is the time we are living in, brothers and sisters. Do you hear the voice of God speaking to us? We have this coming into the Adventist, well, we have had it, and there's been conflict even within the Adventist church. But what constitutes godly music? The Bible says we should worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, amen? In the beauty of holiness. Open your Bibles with me, and let's go back to Revelation. Turn with me back to Revelation chapter 13. These are our last two texts. We're going to uh, look at Revelation 13 and then our memory text. These are very important times that we are living in, very, um, very solemn times, I should say, where God's people have to ensure that their right is life with the Lord. And I, and I still get tempted to listen to secular music. Sometimes, you know, a song will come on at the supermarket. I didn't even hear it, but when I get home, I find myself 
It's coming out of my mouth. And I go, oh, and I realize it. I go, hey, I used to dance to that. I used to love that song. I used to love it. You know that experience? And the battle is there, brothers and sisters. The battle is there. Are we going to listen to it? Are we going to fill our minds with the music that doesn't come from God? This is why I want to stand on the Word of God, you know. And so I have to even fight the flesh myself by the grace of God, fight the flesh and give in to the Holy Spirit and let Him lead. What verse did I say? Revelation chapter 13. Let's read um, those two texts again. In verse 13 and 14, it says, And he doeth great wonders. Talking about in the context of the religious element in the United States of America there. And he doeth great wonders. Of course, this is with the dragon as well. So that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and deceives them that dwell on the earth by means of those miracles or those signs which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. And ultimately, this is all leading to what? Notice it says, and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So this is leading to the formation of an image. It's a symbol for counterfeit worship, right? And, and, and then it talks about the mark of the beast. In other words, what the Bible's telling us is if we are taken in by false worship, if we are taken in by that, or if we are still taken in by the world, when that image is formed and the mark comes about, we will not be able to stand. We will not be able to stand. And this is the context for Revelation 14 when you get to the three angels' messages because there is a church now that is presented. It's in the context of the 144,000 who have the Father's name. and There is a church that that will continue to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And they don't care what everyone else is doing, even if the majority is doing it. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Amen. The cross before me, the what behind me? The world behind me. No turning back. That's who we are called to be. That's who we are called to be. Now the Bible speaks here that in these times, fire is going to come down from heaven. Now fire is associated with what in the Bible? We, we talk about fire coming down from heaven. What do you think of? Holy Spirit. Yeah, how do you know that? Tongues of fire. Remember the tongues of fire came down and rested upon the disciples. Where else do we read about fire from heaven? In the time of Elijah, the story of Elijah. Sorry, I heard something else. All right, the story of Elijah, where there was a standoff between, between Elijah and the worshippers of Baal, a standoff between true worship and false worship. And so fire there is, 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 is often represented of the presence of God. Okay? In the Bible, in the context of the Lord, representing the presence of God, sometimes manifest in judgment. So when the buyer talks about, about fire coming down from heaven in the context now of the, of the false prophet, that is, let me give you the word that Ellen White uses, the two words, when she talks about the false prophet, the church of America, she, she says apostate Protestantism. 
apostate Protestantism because Protestantism used to once upon a time be very, you know, the word of God and that's it, right? Very faithful. Sola Scriptura, the Word of God, and, 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 and that's it. But, but the church now has departed from that and has been given over to seducing spirits, the spirits of devils going into the world here. False worship and so forth. So now it becomes apostate Protestantism. No longer wants the Word of God. And so it's in that context that fire comes down from heaven. So what is the dragon doing? What is the devil doing? The Bible is alluding to the fact that the devil is going to manifest his presence on earth. That's what the Bible is doing. But it's not the presence of Christ now. It's the presence of the, of the Antichrist, the original Antichrist, Satan himself. It's going to manifest himself. Ellen White talks about that. I don't have time to share the statement. But she talks about the devil and working with such deceivableness at the end of time. She talks about false tongues. She talks about false worship. She talks about the wrong kind of music. She talks about all of that. And then she talks about the devil coming and manifesting himself with miracles so that many would believe that he would be Christ. In the context of the charismatic movement, we see healings, don't we? We see all oh, miraculous healings, laying on of hands, and people get up and they start jumping and dancing around. Isn't that right? And many of us have wondered, what, how come we don't do that? Many of us wondered, like, is that real healing? It seems to be real healings. Are they real healings, yes or no? What do you think? No? Well, we're dealing with a supernatural here, right? I believe some of them are, but we also read stories of where they're supposed to have that healing, and then when they go home, the healing's no longer there. If Jesus heals, it's permanent. Isn't that right? If Jesus heals, it's permanent. You don't go home, and then all of a sudden, the problem comes back with your leg, but that's what happens in this context. So there are many false healings as well. And I don't know, sometimes maybe the Lord is the one doing some healing because he, he looks at the ignorance of the people there. And they're so desirous. Maybe he's the one that does sometimes give them a healing. I don't know. We're dealing with a supernatural here. But in this context and time, the devil himself will manifest himself with healings and signs and, and people will, will believe if we present, because that's what he wants, doesn't he? He wants to take the place of Jesus. He always has. He wants to take the place of Jesus in your life. He always has. Always has. That's all he wants. Just to take the place of Jesus in your life. Will you give it to him? Yes or no? No. Or will you give Jesus his rightful place? He will come. And so the Bible tells us and warns us that we are to beware of these times. We're not to trust our senses or our emotions. We're to trust the Word of God. Because when Jesus comes, the Bible says He descends from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And Paul says, We which are alive shall meet together with those who are asleep, meet together with the Lord where? In the air. Jesus' feet won't even touch the ground. His presence will not be manifested on the earth as Satan will strive to do in these last days. Jesus' feet won't touch the earth. Remember that. Remember that. 
Praise the Lord for his word. Amen. Praise the Lord for his word. Let's go to our final text. Let's go to the book of James. And what was our memory text today? James chapter... Hannah? James chapter 1, verse? 27. Thank you. Someone's got their bulletin. <laughs> James chapter 1, verse 27. May we hear from the Lord. This is who Jesus was. Pure religion. We well, still hear some pages turning. James chapter 1, verse 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. And here's what I want you to underscore. And to keep himself unspotted from the, from the world. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. And I know this is particularly challenging for our young people as well. Because I was young once. I know. Love my pop. Today we've got K-pop, right? Love my various music. It appealed to the flesh. And the friends are all into it, isn't it? Our friends are all into this. And of course, you don't want to appear to be different to your friends. But God commends to you a friend like no other. A friend who so loved you that he gave his life for you. He gave his life for the sins of this world. And if you had been the only sinner in this world, he would have given his life for you. Jesus. The best friend that one could possibly have. Amen. He'll only lead you in the right way. And his purpose is to lead us in that path that leads us to our heavenly home where we will spend eternity with God. This message was made available by Hoxton Park Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit their Facebook page, Hoxton Park SDA Church. That is Hoxton, H-O-X-T-O-N, Park SDA Church. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.